Welcome to the sixth episode in our podcast series, The Global Business Crime Outlook. My name is Sarah Trainer, and I'm an associate in the Linklater's business crime team. Last month, we reported on our blog that a key trial of two men on charges of fraud related to the Serco Geographics case collapsed unexpectedly. The prosecution arose out of an alleged scheme to defraud the UK government out of £12 million by understating the true profitability of a prisoner tagging contract operated by Serco Geographics for the Ministry of Justice. The allegations against Serco Geographics itself were settled by way of a Deferred Prosecution Agreement, or DPA, in July 2019, under which the company agreed to pay a financial penalty of £19.2 million. In this podcast, we're not going to focus on that particular case. Instead, we're going to look more broadly at DPAs and consider whether this recent development might cause the Serious Fraud Office, or SFO, to reconsider its approach to prosecuting individuals following a corporate DPA. I'm delighted to be joined in exploring these issues by Ali Proudlock and Jane Lana, both counsels in our business crime team. First off, Jane, to set the scene, could you just remind us what DPAs are and how they are used by the SFO and other prosecutors? Thanks, Sarah. So DPAs were introduced in the UK in 2014 as a way of resolving alleged instances of economic crime by companies. They are a court-approved agreement between a company and a UK prosecutor, and so far it has always been the SFO, in which the company admits various facts and agrees to certain penalties and other conditions, in return for which the prosecutor agrees not to prosecute the company for the alleged wrongdoing. There have been nine DPAs to date, with the vast majority used to settle allegations of bribery to win contracts and or a failure to prevent that bribery. So if only companies can be eligible for DPAs, where do individuals come in? A corporate DPA doesn't necessarily represent the end of the SFO's investigation. Where it can, the SFO will usually seek to prosecute individuals responsible for the alleged offences. Importantly, a DPA will usually include an obligation on the company to continue to cooperate fully with any investigations or prosecutions of relevant individuals, including disclosing all relevant material and information, and using its best efforts to make individuals, such as former directors and employees, available for interview. That obligation is intended to assist the SFO or other prosecutor in holding to account those suspected to be behind the wrongdoing. However, in all prosecutions so far brought by the SFO, where a DPA has previously been agreed for the company, the SFO has failed to secure convictions of any individuals. But Ali, if the company has effectively admitted the offending and the SFO has more or less had the case against individuals handed to it on a plate, why such a poor track record? Well, it's important to remember that a DPA is not an admission of guilt, but an admission of facts. And in any case, the agreement reached between the company and the SFO is not capable of being used against the individuals at any future trial, which is entirely right, given that those individuals will have played no part in the process. To some extent, the inconsistency of outcome, as between companies and individuals, is an inevitable consequence of one matter being settled and the other being contested. And of course, in the past, we've seen similar inconsistencies in the regulatory sphere with the outcomes of enforcement actions by the Financial Conduct Authority, or FCA. There are all sorts of reasons why it may be in a company's interest to settle a matter, even where it has an arguable defence. But an individual who is facing prison and or professional ruin has less to lose by fighting it. 
It's not realistic to expect that a conviction will be secured in every or even in most cases that settled by way of a DPA. Jury acquittals are inevitable and the SFO can take them on the chin. Far harder to justify, and we've had two so far, are prosecutions that are thrown out by the judge before they even get to the jury. Those raise serious questions about the merits of the prosecution case and perhaps suggest that it has not been subject to the same level of scrutiny by the SFO as it would have been absent a DPA. So how will this latest failure to secure individual convictions have affected the SFO's approach to prosecutions? Given its track record so far, the SFO will undoubtedly be nervous about prosecuting individuals following a corporate DPA. That said, I don't think we should be too quick to assume that the SFO will avoid such prosecutions. For a start, the code of practice that governs DPAs acknowledges in terms that it will normally be appropriate to investigate, and if appropriate, prosecute, individuals where a company has self-reported suspected misconduct. It certainly wouldn't do much for the SFO's reputation if it was seen to be striking deals with companies and letting individuals off scot-free, which is no doubt how such an approach would be perceived. That's undoubtedly true, although it's uncomfortable for the SFO that no individual has been held to account for any wrongdoing, even though the company has effectively admitted the conduct underlying the charges and often paid millions of pounds in fines in respect of that conduct. I wonder whether the SFO might learn some of the lessons that the FCA has had to learn in similar, albeit not identical, circumstances. For example, the importance of ensuring that cases are investigated thoroughly before settlement discussions are entered into, trying to progress investigations into companies and individuals in parallel, and ensuring that case teams adopt a reasonable interpretation of what happened, rather than pushing for the worst case interpretation. And the problem of inconsistent outcomes is avoided altogether where the English courts have no jurisdiction over the alleged conduct of individuals. I think there's a risk that we might see the SFO increasingly relying on the very broad jurisdictional reach of the corporate failure to prevent bribery offence in order to prosecute overseas companies for conduct that took place entirely overseas, rather than focusing on cases that have a more meaningful UK nexus. That remains to be seen, I think. Thanks, Jane and Ali, for those insights. If you're interested in hearing more insights from our global team, you'll find lots of helpful resources on the Business Crime and Investigation site on linklaters.com. You'll also be hearing from more of our lawyers from across the global network in upcoming podcasts, as well as our webinar dedicated to cybercrime on the 30th of June. Thank you for listening. Mm -hmm.